0: We're in Danielle's house. Ever since she was a girl, when holiday dinners come, they serve a meal that will probably look familiar to you. Picture, please. Main course, big platter, drumsticks, white breast meat, golden brown skin, stuffing and gravy and cranberry relish on the side. And in Danielle's family, they have a name for this meal. As she told me on the phone recently, the name for this meal is... Fish. Got that? Fish. Well, from WBEZ Chicago, it's American Life. Special program today on the wonders of fish. All right, actually, we can we can say the word here, and the word is poultry. And as you probably know, each week in our program, we choose some theme, we invite a variety of writers and performers and documentary producers to tackle that theme. And this week, as we all of us. Stand in that that magical five-week period, that magical interregnum between the turkey of Thanksgiving and the turkey of Christmas, that magical five weeks where Americans consume nearly a fourth of all the turkey we consume over the course of the year, 67 million turkeys. So in this period, we bring you our annual poultry slam. Stories about turkeys, chickens, ducks, fowl of all kind. And their mysterious hold over us. Well, Myra Glass, coming up in this hour. Act 1, ducky. Act 2, turkey. Act 3, Raider David Sedaris. Act 4, South African chicken blood. And of course, of course... What poultry positive program would be complete without. Chicken Man! He's everywhere! He's everywhere! Yes, indeed, in the late 1960s, the winged warrior Chicken Man struck terror in the hearts of evildoers on radios all across our great nation. And today, we are pleased to bring you the first new episode of Chicken Man since 1969. This is one of those things, if you have heard Chicken Man, this needs no introduction. If you haven't, you are in for a big, big treat. A big radio treat. It's later in the show. Stay with us. Act one. Ducky. So in Danielle's family, the power of poultry is so great in their lives that when they serve chicken or turkey, they call it Fish. That's right. And they call it that for a reason. And the reason has to do with a stuffed hand puppet called Ducky. Now, Danielle is nearly 30 years old. Her sister Ashley is two years younger. And Ducky has been in the family since they were children.
1: Well, he was a Christmas present when Ashley was about 8 and I was about 10. And when he first arrived, he was really fluffy. And he was this beautiful, fluffy, white duck and he had a cape on and black kind of villain-slash-hero goggles. Right. He lost, he lost uh, the outfit pretty quickly and he went naked. And, um, and then he became Ashley's vehicle for torturing me.
0: Now it's not unusual for older siblings to dominate younger ones. And as children, Danielle dominated Ashley. Ashley looked up to Danielle, fought to get her attention and her approval, and Danielle always, always got her way, except when Ducky was around. Basically, Ashley would um. channel. I mean, the word's kind of an anachronism in this context, but she would channel Ducky. She would become Ducky's voice. She would speak as Ducky, and Ducky was sarcastic. Ducky was selfish and bossy. Ducky would insult Danielle. Ducky would tease Danielle. Ducky would give her painful nose squeaks.
1: Whenever Ashley kind of brought Ducky into the equation, he, he was completely the dominant force. Like, I was just putty in Ducky's hands.
0: Let me ask you to compare his, his personality with uh, Ashley's personality.
1: Um... Ashley's very kind of considerate, and she's very considerate and kind and thoughtful and very, very sensitive to other people, very, very concerned about if other people are happy and if someone or someone else doesn't feel good. Or And Ducky is, has this total, like, you know, what's-for-lunch attitude, like, what's in it for me, in your face, totally out for himself. Um simultaneously a braggart and a total wimp.
0: He, he's boastful and vain.
1: He's just this indomitable, yeah, indomitable spirit.
0: Well, 19 years after Ducky arrived in the Mattoon household, the fluffy whiteness is long gone. Fluffy, in fact, is not a word you would really use to describe Ducky. Nor is two-eyed, if I remember correctly.
1: His physical, like what he looks like physical is kind of just... He's like a slightly pathetic-looking, gray, tattered thing.
0: Very tattered. Very,
1: very tattered. But then the fact that his his brain, like, you know, what's coming out of his mouth, completely is in complete denial about who he actually is. I don't know, there's just something really, really great about that he, and he, really you can't, You have to love you love him for it
0: alright I've been at Danielle's apartment sometimes and I've witnessed the following scene picture please Danielle has not spoken with her sister in weeks she picks up the phone calls Ashley in Michigan Ashley answers Danielle asks immediately can you put Ducky on And then Ashley essentially, you know, becomes Ducky, puts Ducky on the phone. Danielle talks to Ducky for 15, 20 minutes. And then they both hang up. That's the whole conversation. And they both feel satisfied. These are, these are, Danielle is an editor at a big New York magazine.
1: I adore Ducky. I really love Ducky. And sometimes I think, like, if he disappeared, it would really feel like someone died I mean, I look at him and he looks really kind of old and ratty, and it really makes me sad. It kind of really—I feel like. It, I mean, it sounds crazy. I mean, it really—it really makes me sad to think about like a world without Ducky in it. It would be a big empty hole in the world. He kind of takes up as much room in my heart as is like a lot of people, individually. And I would, I would, if he—if something happened to him, you know, if he were like lost at an airport or kind of run over by a car, I would be, I mean, it would really be heartbreaking.
0: So I hope it's um, becoming clear why, if you eat dinner in the home of Danielle's family, if they're serving some kind of poultry, you know, chicken or turkey, if you ask anybody in the family, what's for dinner? They'll tell you. Fish. Right. And and, and, and the rationale for that is is what? Freak Becky out. It freaks him out, though, because he, you don't like him to know that, that perhaps some birds are, are, in fact, eaten.
1: I think he knows. I think he's in denial about it. He's in denial about most things. He's in denial about the fact that he's totally, like, weak and tiny and dirty. He thinks he's really good-looking and strong. And um, that he's really smart and has a lot of friends. Right. Um, he's in denial about the fact that he's actually stuffed. Which he is. Sometimes I tell him that. I say, Ducky, give me a break. You're just stuffed. And he's like, no way.
0: Now, I thought I would try to book Ducky to come on the radio for this program. So I contacted Danielle's sister, Ashley, and asked her, you know, could Ducky come on the air? I received an answer back not by phone but by electronic mail that for Ducky to appear I'd have to first go through someone named Yona Lu, who I could reach through Danielle and Ashley's mother. And when I talked to Danielle I, I asked her about this. I've been informed that the only way that I can reach him is by calling your mom and speaking to Yona Lu. Do I have that name right?
1: Yona Lu, yeah. Yona I think that's she's acting as his agent.
0: Yona Lu is
1: She's a hedgehog.
0: Anything special that I should say to Yona to, to to make this happen? Well
1: she I mean, I don't know. She's a pretty she she drives a pretty hard bargain.
0: Hello? Hey Mrs. Matoon. Yes. It's Ira Glass.
2: Hi, Ira Glass.
0: Mrs. Mattoon, here here's here's why I called you. I, I wanna do a little uh, story on the radio about Ducky. And Ducky. Ducky. And um and I contacted <coughs> your daughter Ashley. And she said that for me to uh, book Ducky onto my radio show, I was going to first need to contact Yona Lu. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, you would need to do that,
0: and that I needed to do that through you. Yeah. Who is Yona Lu?
2: Yona Lu is. Um, she's kind of a. Uh, uh, she's a hedgehog. She. She's basically taken charge of Ducky's financial affairs, and I, I presume this has something to do with money.
0: Well, I, I don't know actually. I mean, we—that's
2: probably why she said to contact Yona Lou.
0: Well, so what do I do now? I'm calling. She said I was co- told to contact you, and uh, if I wanted to get in touch with Yona Lou in order to book Ducky, what do I do next?
2: Book Ducky, okay. You're gonna book Ducky. Uh,
0: that's that's the whole idea. I want to book Ducky. Okay. For the show, for an interview.
2: Well, I'll I'll just um, uh, talk to Yona Lou about it. She says, okay, it's okay.
0: I mean, will Yona want to discuss terms or something?
2: She doesn't talk.
0: So what? what's going to happen? <laughs> All right. Should I call you back?
2: You could um, call me back or um, I just go, go in and check.
0: You'll just go in and check? Yeah. Should I wait? Yeah. All right, I'll wait.
2: yeah this is just radio yeah not tv
0: it's just radio
2: and um nobody's going to get to be on tv
0: (laughs) no no one's going to be on tv no it's strictly radio
2: okay you doesn't care what happens then
0: what if it were tv
2: i think she'd want to be on too (laughs) (laughs) even though she doesn't i mean radio doesn't do much for her she doesn't talk
3: All
0: right. As you might imagine, not everybody in the family takes all this so lightly. Danielle's father was never too uh, keen on this.
2: He was quite actually bothered by the whole. He thought um, we maybe had a problem in the family.
0: Really?
4: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, there um, for a while we had two daughters that only communicated through a duck.
0: Yeah, that that period that you're describing, what, what, when do you mean?
2: I would say they maybe were 10 and 12 or 9 and 11. And they would
0: only communicate through the duck?
2: Well, um, Danielle didn't uh, pay a whole lot of attention to Ashley, but she paid quite a lot of attention to the duck. So if Ashley wanted to get Danielle's attention, all she had to do was rev up the duck.
0: How long did this last?
2: Um, I can't remember. She could also make Danielle laugh that way.
3: Right.
1: Danielle thought Ducky was very funny, but I can't remember her thinking Ashley was funny. In terms of the relationship between my sister and me, I don't know why. I mean, this is probably completely, really sick, but... I have so much kind of genuine affection and love for Ducky that it's very easy to, and, it, and it's very easy to demonstrate those feelings in a way that it's not as easy to kind of demonstrate those feelings toward my sister. Just because we never kind of got in the habit of it.
0: What percentage of your relationship with your sister is based on your relationship with Ducky?
1: Well, a really fun part of it is based on my relationship with Ducky, but I think as we've gotten older and older, we've gotten kind of more more and more self conscious about like the ducky factor in our relationship um, and um but i think I think kind of a big chunk I mean, it definitely kind of gives me this vision into her brain that I wouldn't have otherwise.
0: Well, I did finally snag an interview with Ducky. You know, big, <laughs> big network radio program that we are. We could, we could pull off this coup. Snag for you this, this interview with an imaginary hand puppet. Anyway, I did, I did uh, make this happen by calling Ashley. Is, is Ducky still up for this?
5: Yeah, he just got back from a party, though.
0: He just got back from a party.
5: Yeah. He was at a happy hour thing on um, where, uh, with a lot of, like, college students. Did he's not in college, but he's in the band, so a lot of his friends go to this happy hour on Friday
0: night. Uh, well, c- could you get him?
5: Uh, sure. He's upstairs. Just okay. Here he is. Hey, Ducky. Yeah? Hey, yeah, How are you doing?
0: I'm just fine. Long Wh- time no see. Long time no see. Yeah. Ba- back at you. And and walk- welcome to our little radio program. So
5: let's go Here. You got a whole bunch of celebrities
0: on tonight? Well, we actually have a a number of different people. Robots are like Tom Cruise? (laughs) They're just like Tom Cruise. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Now, Dougie, I I was talking to uh, Danielle for for our radio program and had her come on and talk about you a little bit. And one of the things that she said was that when uh, she was younger, in order to discipline her, if she was doing something that you didn't like, you could pretty much control her with something called nose squeaks.
5: Yeah. She has this kind of, it's a prominent note, you know what I mean? It kind of sticks out and you just want to squeak it. You know, like over Thanksgiving, we're watching the Muppet show. Yeah. And Miss Piggy was on. And she reminded me a lot of Neely. Like,
0: of Danielle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah. And Kermit told Miss Piggy, move the pork. hmm And so I was telling you, like to move the park all
0: week. And would she move?
5: Yes, she would. Yeah.
0: Now, if Ashley would tell her, if Ashley would sit down on the couch and say to Danielle, "Move the porch, <laughs> what would the effect of that be? Um,
5: kind of. You know, you know, Neil, You know how she looks at you when she doesn't approve of something you say or do. Mm-hmm. She gets this kind of ice cold stare, mm-hmm. and she gives you this sidelong glance that makes you kind of feel like you're about the size of a pea.
0: Yeah,
5: that's what she does.
0: Is there anything about the life of a of a duck that, that perhaps you could tell our radio audience that that we might not know? You know, that I'm sure that, that you know much more about it than we do.
5: No, not really. <laughs> I'm kind of an unusual duck. I'm not really in touch with the whole duck scene. You you're know not what in what I mean? touch
0: with the whole scene, yeah.
5: When I had time, I used to migrate once in a while because I had some friends who were ducks. I'm going to try to like, keep in touch with them, but... Lately, I've just started spending more time with people and doing my own thing, and I just don't have time to do those kind of, like, stuck things anymore. I just wanted more of my life than that.
6: Just yes, what I mean. Now all through the week as quiet as a mouse, but on Saturday night they go from house to house. You don't have to pay the usual admission if you're a cook or a waiter or a good musician. So if you happen to be just passing by, stopping at the Saturday night fish fry. It
7: was rocking. It was rocking. You never seen such a clumpin' and a till the break of dawn. It was rocking.
6: It was. And the Then they took us to jail in a day's condition They booked each one of us on suspicion My chick came down and went my bail And finally got me out of that rotten jail Now if you ever want to get a fist in your eye Just mention a Saturday night fish fry I don't care how many fish in the sea But don't you ever mention fish to me It wasn't rocking It wasn't rocking. You never seen such a shovel, and a shovel till the break up dawn
0: well, the story of a 27-year-old graduate student who talks like a duck naturally brings us to the story of Chicken Man. Chicken Man first soared the radio airwaves from 1966 to 1969. Nearly every day there would be a new episode. These are these um, short little things, each one two minutes long or so, starting on WCFL here in Chicago, but spreading to over 1,500 radio stations, Three times, by the way. That's three times the number in the public radio network. According to the people who syndicate Chicken Man, it has been translated into German, into Dutch, into Swedish. It is still on the air, they say, in several dozen markets, making it one of the longest-running radio features anywhere. Chicken Man. Chicken Man existed years before National Public Radio existed as a national network. Chicken Man will continue probably years after we're all gone like The Mighty Cockroach, like, I don't know, like The Bagel, like Halava, Chicken Man indoors, Will endure. Well, coming up later in the program, we'll have the first new real chicken episode since 1969, written especially for This American Life by Dick Orkin, the voice of Chicken Man. But first, before that, let's hear what all the fuss was about.
6: Now, another exciting episode in the life of the most fantastic crime fighter the world has ever known.
7: Bah, 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 bah! Chicken! He's everywhere! He's everywhere!
6: Benton Harper, employed as a shoe salesman for a large downtown department store, spends his weekends, his only two days off striking terror into the hearts of criminals everywhere as the white-winged warrior called Chicken Man. How did it come about that Benton Harbor weekend-winged warrior selected the visage of the chicken in his crusade against the forces of evil? Now it can be told.
8: Yes, may I help you?
9: How do you do? I'm looking for a costume.
8: Oh, what did you have in mind?
9: Something that will strike terror into the hearts of criminals everywhere.
8: I see. Well, how about this?
9: Hmm. No, I don't think so.
8: Why not try it on? Very well. Here, I'll help you.
9: Thank you. Uh,
8: uh, there you are. Now, take a look in the mirror.
9: Hmm. Not bad. I wonder if you would permit me to conduct a quick experiment outside this store. Certainly. Pardon me, sir. Yeah? Are you, by chance, a vicious criminal? Uh-huh. Fine. Would you take a look at this costume I'm wearing? Yeah. Do you feel anything strange? Uh... Anything at all? Uh, yeah. And what is that? I'd, uh, like to kiss you. Kiss me? Yeah. How do you account for that? Because you look like an adorable bunny rabbit.
8: Well, how did it go?
9: What else do you have?
8: A uh, teddy bear and a chicken.
9: A teddy bear?
8: And it'd be cute.
6: Wrap up the chicken, please. Be listening tomorrow for another exciting episode in the life of the most fantastic crime fighter the world has ever known.
7: Chicken! He's everywhere!
0: He's everywhere! I love these. You want to hear another? We we have time for another. You want to hear another? The thing I love is that how completely um, low key the performances are. It's like they're not even trying. It's a complete aesthetic. All right, let's let's hear one more before we continue with the next act.
6: Now, another exciting episode in the life of the most fantastic crime fighter the world has ever known. <laughs> The office of the police commissioner of Midland City.
8: Hello, this is the commissioner. Miss
9: Helfinger, this is the winged warrior. Yes, what is it? Please inform the commissioner that I'm now all set for test sequence number one. What? It's all primed and ready to go.
8: What are you talking about?
9: The chicken missile, Miss Helfinger.
8: The chicken missile?
9: Yes, so tell the commissioner I'm ready for test sequence number one. (laughs) Yes, Miss Helfinger.
8: Commissioner, the chicken missile is ready to go. Huh? The chicken missile.
9: Oh, yes, of course. The, uh...
8: And it's ready for test sequence number one. Test
9: sequence number one. Number one. Well, that's, um, very nice. Very nice, yes.
8: Hello, winged warrior. Right here, Miss Helvinger. The commissioner said that's very nice.
9: Oh, fine. In that case, Miss Helvinger, have the commissioner stand by with the chicken missile receiver. What? I'm going to count down. Listen. We'll see you at 1,400 hours. Hello, wait. Yes, Miss Hilfiger? Commissioner? Yes?
8: If I would say to you, prepare the chicken missile receiver, would you know... No, I wouldn't. I didn't think you would. Commissioner? Yes? I would suggest that you crouch under your desk. Crouch under my desk? Yes, Yes. it should provide some protection.
9: From...
6: Chicken missile. Wow! Say that chicken missile really works nifty! Will the Midland City Fire Department recommend that a chicken missile receiver be installed in what's left of Midland City Hall? Be listening tomorrow for another exciting episode in the life of the most fantastic crime fighter the world has ever known. Eggman Gonna know I'm hungry Gonna know this trailer
10: park Is big enough for us three? Oh, I love him And I love
5: eggs I love to blow them Suck them, throw them Chop them, run it down my legs Where is the Eggman?
6: And he running late And you're gonna come And take me on an over easy date Oh, I love him And I love eggs I love to them Suck them,
5: throw them Chop them, run it down my legs
0: Well, coming up Life on a Real Turkey Farm, David Sedaris, and of course the first new episode of Chicken Man since the Nixon administration, written just for our program. That's all in a minute when our program continues. (laughs) ¶¶ This American Life, Myra Glass. Each week on our program, of course, we choose a topic, bring you documentaries, short fiction, found tape, anything we can think of on that theme. Today, with the turkey of Thanksgiving just behind us, the turkey of Christmas ahead of us, we're in that turkey sandwich part of the year, you know, and we, we are in the middle of it. We are, we are at the center of that sandwich. And in honor of that, we're holding our annual poultry slam here in This American Life, This next story is from Julie Showalter, who grew up on a turkey farm in Missouri.
4: The day before the night 3,000 turkeys died, we moved 13,000 turkeys to the range. This requires some explanation. Turkeys spend their first 16 weeks in a heated brooder house. Then they are put outside to range in fenced enclosures. Usually men in trucks come and take them to the range at night. This time, Daddy decided we'd heard them ourselves. It looked simple enough. We made a temporary shoot of wire fencing that ran from the double-end doors of the brooder house, 50 yards to the pen. We would get behind the turkeys in the brooder house, shout, wave old shirts and gunny sacks at them, and they would run out the doors through the shoot and into the pen. And that's the way it worked in the first brooder house. The first turkeys hesitated at the door, walked out cautiously, then moved through the chute and dispersed. The rest followed. It took about an hour. Daddy was pleased. Let's work straight through, he said. We'll be done by 10. By the time turkeys have been in a brooder house for 16 weeks, the air is filled with ammonia, feather particles, and dust. The stench is overwhelming. After an hour in the brooder house, your lungs hurt for a day. You can contract disabling lung diseases from working only a week in a poultry house. Tiny barbed pieces of feather dig into the tissue of your lung and never let go. But we didn't know that then. We moved the temporary fence to the doors of the second brooder house. When we threw open the doors at the end of the second house, it was nine in the morning. The sun streamed in the open doors on turkeys that had never seen direct sunlight. The one thing you can count on with turkeys is that you never know how they are going to react. I've seen turkeys clamor against a fence trying to get into a range fire. I've seen them rush toward a screaming child trying to kill it and I've seen them run from a screaming child, spooked and terrified. These turkeys didn't want to go into the sun. As we pushed from behind, they compacted. It was like an old adventure movie where the walls are closing in, but there was no wall at the end, only a patch of sunlight which the turkeys would not touch. We yelled louder, waved our cloths, kicked at the ones in the rear. Finally, Daddy walked through the solid carpet of turkeys to break the log jam at the front. He stood at the edge of the sunlight, lifting the turkeys three or four at a time with his feet, stirring them with his legs, forcing them into the sun. Suddenly, they broke free. As stubbornly as they had refused to go into the light, they now rushed toward it. They ran in a panic, piling on top of each other, knocking down the temporary fence. By the time Daddy could get the doors closed, at least a thousand turkeys had escaped and were running free on the farm, onto our neighbor's farm, into the road. We didn't own the turkeys. We raised them for a company that owned the hatchery, the feed mill, the fleet of trucks that delivered and loaded the turkeys, the processing plant. We got a portion of the profits if there were profits. With a thousand turkeys gone, there would be no profits on this flock. Sixteen weeks of daddy working 14-hour days, of my sisters and me working alongside him anytime we weren't in school, all for no pay. And if we weren't paid for this flock, we would have no cash coming in until the next flock was raised. It took us eight hours to round up the escaped turkeys, four of us trying to track down a thousand birds that had the whole world in which to hide and run from us. The sun beat down and the air was thick and humid. We stopped once for water, and my sister, Billy, the youngest of us, just eleven, vomited from the cold water hitting her stomach after hours of sun, heat, and dehydration. As she lay on the ground, shaking and holding her stomach, I hated her for being the one too sick to continue. But even she was not too sick. We all went on. She got an extra five minutes to rest. But we all went on. You may be asking right now how my father could be so cruel, how he could work young girls like that. Or you may think I'm exaggerating, that self-pity has magnified our distress. I tell you, this is no exaggeration. And I tell you, my father had no choice. Or any choice he had was so far in the past that there was no unraveling it. Years later, when we were grown, we caught a glimpse of his guilt, his bitterness over what he had done to us. I couldn't afford niggers, he told my sister Billy, so I had daughters. At six o'clock, we rebuilt the chute. We opened the doors, and the six thousand remaining turkeys, the sun now low behind them, walked through to the pen. We cleaned up, we ate supper, and we went to bed. That's the day we had before the night 3,000 turkeys died. At midnight, Mother woke us up. We have to get to the pen, Daddy needs us. We had been too exhausted to hear the storm. We ran out in the driving rain. Flashes of lightning showed Daddy picking up turkeys and throwing them, one after the other. When people learn I grew up on a turkey farm, they invariably ask, is it true? Are they really so stupid that they open their mouths in the rain, look up at the sky, and drown? The answer is yes. Some of them do that. They are that stupid. But that's not how 3,000 die in one night. They die because they are scared, and they huddle together in their fear. They climb on top of each other trying to get close to find protection in the mass of bodies and they suffocate. We called it piling. It wasn't unusual for a loud noise to cause a pile in the brooder house. If there wasn't someone to pull them off each other, 50 could die because someone slammed a door. But this was worse than any pile we'd seen. Turkeys who'd never spent a night outdoors, panicked by thunder and lightning and rain in sheets. All we could do was pull them out of the pile and throw them away from it. They would run back, still seeking the comfort of the group. After a while, standing in mud, grabbing soaked turkeys, throwing them, grabbing some more, you don't know if the ones you were throwing are dead or alive. You don't care. Maybe we saved some. The next day, the sky was cloudless and the sun bore down on us again. We picked up dead turkeys, throwing them onto the back of a flatbed truck. Daddy drove the truck into a field far from the house. 3,000 dead turkeys sitting in the Missouri sun for two days. The company that owned the turkeys had them insured against acts of God, so we couldn't do anything until the insurance inspector had seen them. He came, a man from town in a white shirt and tie who held his handkerchief over his face when he got close to the truck. He made no pretense of counting, just stood there gagging. After he left, daddy shoveled the turkeys into dead turkey gulch. He poured gasoline on them and struck a match. They burned for days.
0: Julie Showalter lives in the Chicago area. She says she still eats turkey twice a year. She has just finished a novel called Needlework and is looking for a publisher. David Sedaris is a commentator on NPR's Morning Edition, the author of the book Barrel Fever and the forthcoming book Naked, and he contributed the following story to our poultry slam.
3: It's an excerpt from his diaries. July nineteenth, 1992. This afternoon at the 26th Street Flea Market, I had one of those experiences that remind me why I shop in the first place. Not shop like grocery shop, but step out into the world searching for that one thing I cannot name. I passed the usual objects, the grinning mammies offering themselves up as salt-and-pepper shakers, the coffee table made from dice, another head carved from a coconut. That's collectible, the dealers say, referring to an ashtray in the shape of a doll-sized toilet bowl. Collectible to who? Last weekend at the flea market I saw this thing, a taxidermy turkey's head attached to its own foot. This turkey was equipped with that length of flesh that spills from the top of its beak and fell to its neck. Stiff red hair stood out from the head and shoulders and the claws were really sharp. You'd think that something armed like that might be able to protect itself. I pictured its maker standing by a chopping block saying, I know, I'll take the turkey's head and attach it to the foot. Why would you do that? Or more importantly, what sort of life would you lead that might enable you to make this connection? I was hypnotized by this object, and asked the price as if I were under a spell. Forty five dollars, a dealer said. My tongue was dry from hanging in the open air, and I tried to fit it back into my mouth. All right, she said, thirty five, thirty. But she could have gone up. All right, eighty five. A hundred and twenty, three hundred and seventy. I HAD NO CHOICE BUT TO FOLLOW WHEREVER SHE LED ME. I HANDED OVER MY WALLET IN A TRANCE, JUST GAVE IT TO HER, THINKING SHE COULD TAKE THE WHOLE THING, THE CASH, BLANK CHECKS, LIBRARY CARD, WHATEVER, TAKE IT ALL. I STARED INTO THE FACE OF THIS taxidermy TURKEY'S HEAD AND NOTHING ELSE MATTERED. TOMORROW? WHAT'S THAT? YESTERDAY DOESN'T COUNT. MY LIFE BEGAN THE MOMENT I COULD CALL THIS THING MY OWN. On the way home, I felt giddy and confident that I could approach anyone at all and say, I'll give you a hundred, no, five hundred thousand dollars if you can guess what I've got in this paper sack. And I swear that not one of them could have come up with the right answer. I walked home, thirty blocks, looking everyone square in the eye and thinking, sucker. David Sedaris
0: lives in New York City. A stage adaptation of his Santa Diaries is now at the Atlantic Theater in Manhattan.
2: Thank you for calling. WBEC Radio. Our offices are closed to observe the holiday. If you know your. Please enter your mailbox number. Please enter your security code. Greeting is on. You have one new and one saved message. To listen, press 5. Red-
10: um, hi, Ira. This is Michael in South Africa. Listen, about the uh, item that we spoke about, the turkey's head attached to the turkey's foot. Well, I spoke to some sangomas, which are um, witch doctors in the neighborhood, about that thing. And they've never heard of anything quite like it or seen anything quite like it. However, when I would describe it to them, their their jaws dropped. Uh, But look, I I discovered a whole bunch about poultry in South Africa. So um, call me back, okay? Okay.
0: Well, Michael is Michael Stumm, performer, actor, former member of the Worcester Group in New York City, former Chicagoan, now lives in Johannesburg, South Africa. And I asked him to look into the uses of chicken and other poultry among the sangoma culture in South Africa. Sangomas or witch doctors or herbalists or orators, you hear them called sometimes, they're common in South Africa. Everybody seems to know one. And chickens are one of their main tools. Well, it's 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 a funny thing. I've discovered that
10: over half the country is just awash in chicken blood. It's um it's it's a substance that is uh, it comes in so handy. It's rather like, gosh, I don't know. It flows like like milk in does in America, or Dr. Bronner's chamomile soap, or, or some <laughs> other easily easily spilled liquid in, in modern America. Um, it's, 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 it's an incredibly versatile product. You can lose bad luck with it. You can strengthen uh, um, um, a faulty muscle with it. You can improve your eyesight with it. You can find lost items with it. You can get your wife back with it. You can, you can transfer your bad luck to someone else with it. I mean, I had someone tell me that there is a ceremony involving um, the killing of a chicken in a rather Baroque manner, which I'll describe to you, but but this is a very specific ceremony that that involves losing your court
0: papers at court. In other words, if you do this thing with this chicken, the court will lose the papers and, and yes. that's how you will go free.
10: Allow me to describe the ceremony and um Sure, and because you know,
0: you can... I'm sure many of our listeners get into these kinds of situations and have wondered how can we make, for example, the US district attorney simply lose that file?
10: Yeah. You are arrested. A court date is set. Um you then you you go home to your witch doctor. Um, you bring him a white chicken. It has to be a white chicken. Um, the witch doctor then prescribes some muti, okay, which is medicine. It can come in many, many forms. Perhaps it's a powder. Perhaps it's a, a, a liquid. doesn't really matter because you're going to take the muti yourself. Um, you then take the chicken and the muti uh, to the nearest mountain. You climb to the top of the mountain. You dig a hole. You dig a hole large enough for the chicken to fit in. You then speak to the chicken. You say to the chicken, this is what I want to have happen. I would like my United States Federal Court tax document, file number 869102B, to disappear, or, or whatever it is that you want to disappear. You then take a large sewing needle, and you poke the chicken's eyes out with this sewing needle. You, you then um, um, bury the chicken, the, blind, the now blind chicken, alive in the hole. Okay? You put him in the hole, you put the dirt back on
0: then this chicken is going to do something for you in the afterworld? After you've p- poked out its eyes and you're burying it alive, this chicken is going to do you a favor <laughs> among the mystic spirits? Magic is funny, Ira. What can I say? Uh, it's,
10: essentially, it's the end of the ceremony. You leave the chicken, and then you go, and, and, and as it was described to me, you go back to your court date on the, on the day of your court date, and your papers will be lost. P- people will say to you, <laughs> you, you have no papers. You are free. I this believe how it was described to me.
0: Now, uh, Mr. Stom, in the interest you of know, accurate reporting, do, have you talked to anyone who claims that this worked for them personally? Well, <laughs> the,
10: the gentleman I spoke to, um, I'm trying to... The, the gentleman I spoke to uh, has heard of this working. He has not actually been arrested himself and... Um, Caused his papers to disappear in this manner, but but the, apparently there are gangs of chicken rustlers here, um, you know, not unlike cow, c- cattle rustling in in um, uh, in the in Western movies. You're you know, making this up. Wrestlers.
0: Chicken rustlers.
10: What kind of chicken rustlers?
0: I swear. What kind of dignity is there in that for for a man? Let me just ask you that. You know, like a man wrestle some. Yeah, you wrestle some cattle and you feel like a man, but you wrestle oh. a chicken. <laughs> I mean, the word "Russell" doesn't even seem like it's the right word. It's just, you know, it's just too big a word. It's too grand a word. You don't hear the strains of Aaron Copeland when the word "Russell," you know, comes up next to the word chicken. Hold on for a second. Let me just, let me just, I'm just going to put on some Aaron Copeland here right now. I just want you to conjure a scene of the chicken rustlers. Could you just describe how you picture them? All right. The, The music's, the music's going now. Well, I
10: think you know, as, as I picture chicken rustlers, they probably wait until the sun goes down and they, and they probably have a sack because if you stick a chicken in a sack, he's, uh, he or she is, is, is she is not going to um, make noise, so they probably chuck a bunch of chickens in the sack as many as they can get away with until the chickens who are not in the sack start making noise, and then they run away. That's how I envision a chicken rustling. You know? A chicken rustling.
0: Michael, do do chicken rustlers ever get rustled themselves? I mean, is it like the mafia where it goes back and forth and back and forth in an endless <laughs> cycle of violence and rustling? Uh,
10: Lu- Luca Brazzi sleeps with the chickens.
0: I don't know. <laughs>
6: About chicken. Chicken's a popular word, but anywhere you go, you're bound to find a chicken ain't nothing but a bird. Some people call it a fowl, that's the story I heard. But let them call it this and let them call it that. A chicken ain't nothing. Was a dish for old Caesar, also King Henry the But Columbus was smart, said, "You can't fool me. A chicken eat
7: nothing
0: but a bird." Act five, Chicken Man, like the Phoenix. As a, as a child, I did not care about the radio. In fact, I have to say that there was only one thing that I remember hearing on the radio up until the age of sixteen. I'd say. And that was Chicken Man. It had all these qualities of radio that um, have since come to value. It was surprising. It was funny. It had its own sound, a sound that was completely distinctive and instantly recognizable and appealing. Dick Gorkin uh, was the voice of Chicken Man. And in the years since Chicken Man, he's done tons of work, including lots of commercials, in that deadpan style, a style which hundreds of people all over the country have tried to imitate. Nobody ever gets it right. And it's, it's a pleasure. It's an honor to have him on our program. L- last year when uh, This American Life was just a local program in Chicago, before, uh, before it was, you could hear it around the country, we invited Dick Gorkin to create a new Chicken Man episode for our uh, Poultry Slam. And uh, he put a cast together, put together the first new episode since 1969. Chicken Man, in this episode, Chicken Man is a quarter century older, like his creator, and he faces a new set of problems.
6: No. Another exciting episode in the life of the most fantastic crime fighter the world has ever known. Ba, ba, ba,
7: ba! Chicken! Man! He's everywhere! He's
9: everywhere! Tuesday morning, 9:30 a.m. The chicken alarm in my chicken cake goes off 30 minutes late, which makes me late for my annual physical at my doctor, Dupont Chopper. I didn't want to be late since it was my first in thirty years. Nine fifty AM. I get a flat as I pull the chicken coupe out of the chicken garage. So I take the convenient number thirty two bus, which drops me off only fourteen blocks from the doctor's office. You're
7: late. You're late for a very important date,
9: says the doctor, and I say, I know. I'm sorry, all the air went out of my watch McCollit.
7: Well, that happens to all of us. Age. Try not to sit on sharp things and don't think sharp things. Kay. Body mind, mind body and all you do, and Santa Claus is watching you.
9: Eleven AM, after several tests and poking
7: Well, your cholesterol's a little high, the pain in your toes is arthritis, and I think you have the beginning of a nice hernia.
9: Cholesterol high? I had no idea. Well,
7: technically it's not high because, one, it is in your mind, and two, it is your bad cholesterol that's bad. Your good cholesterol is not good, but in time your bad cholesterol will be good, and your good cholesterol will be bad, and that's not good. Anything else? Yes, you're ugly.
9: That's my chicken mask, the beacon, you know, the feathers.
7: Anybody ever tell you it's ugly? Well,
9: that's the idea. Otherwise, I couldn't strike terror into the hearts of vicious criminals everywhere.
7: Aha. Uh-huh. Well, don't look at small children or animals. Anyway, that's the health story. But I don't think you have to alter your lifestyle unless you are a crime-fighting superhero of some kind. Ha, 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 ha. Want to buy one of my tapes?
9: 12 noon. I return to the chicken cave, and there in the chicken mirror, aha, I see something horrible. No, not my ugly face. My own mortality. I asked myself why it never stared me in the face before. After all, I've been fighting crime and or evil for over 30 years, pursuing it down streets and alleys and sewers and other picturesque places, and my mortality never came up even once. 1.40 p.m. I go see the police commissioner and share with him the doctor's diagnosis. After all, he is my closest friend, and if I can't tell him the bad news, who can I tell? So I give him a new coloring book I bought for him and tell him my sad news, and he says, "Haha, uh-huh. This looks like a real neat coloring book. So what do you think, Commissioner? About what? What I just shared with you. Oh, it's a real neat coloring book. About the diagnosis and the need to alter my lifestyle. Oh, well, that would mean, uh, that you'd have to... And, of course, one can't even be sure that, that, you know. So, anyway, that's how I see it. Okay, thanks, Commissioner. Anytime, Winged Warrior. After all, what are friends for? And may I ask you a uh, question? Okay. If I make the sky blue with this picture and the mountains brown, do you think the rock should be chartreuse? Perfect. 4 p.m. I go to the local office of the Grace Hill Ferguson Employment Agency and Screen Door Company.
11: Okay. When you say something more sedentary like no. what do you mean
9: sedentary you know things where I can sedent- sit
11: and oh, sit okay so something sedentary yeah I just started here right. I'm supposed to ask some questions okay. what kind of previous work experience do you have
9: uh, basically fighting crime and or evil
11: okay and what special equipment office or otherwise are you experienced in using
9: um, Geshtunken
11: Could you spell that? G
9: E S H T U K N A. Mm-hmm. And I also worked a chicken dissolver and uh-huh. a chicken modulator and a can opener. T U uh, K A N A. Mm-hmm. So what do you have in light work that I could do? A N A. That's it. Okay. Geshtunkena. You got it. Okay.
11: Do you know Windows ninety five?
9: Look, what light job openings are on your list there? Just look.
11: heavy cable puller, refrigerator oh. and piano mover, oh, cement hailer, hauler. Okay,
9: big tree yeah,
11: planter, circus tent, mi-
9: Miss, what? Not how. Those are all active and heavy thing. Anything light I could do.
11: Yes, a negligee model and a delicatessen. I don't. Will. Oh well, scratch that then. Requires previous experience. Yeah. Oh, here's something really perfect. What's that? A napkin folder in a nouveau Italian Chinese restaurant specializing in pizza and light salads. Takeout available. Mmm, I'm hungry.
9: Wednesday morning, 9.30 a.m. My chicken alarm goes off a half hour late for my geriatric counseling appointment. Tire still flat. So I take the convenient number 18 bus, and that leaves me off only 28 blocks from the counselor's office. I
11: have one word of advice, mister. Get out. Excuse me? Get out.
9: Do you mean from this office? I mean,
11: get out. O-U-T.
9: Okay, I'm a few minutes late. What, you're
11: 30 years too late. Get out.
9: Oh, you mean get out, not get out. May
11: I suggest a small, desert, superhero retirement community? You play golf?
9: Not real good, no. Good, you'll
11: fit right in. Neither does Fishwoman or that flying newt. Uh I sent them there. They love it.
9: Fishwoman? Yeah,
11: little scaly, nice personality. Okay. Want to buy one of my tapes?
9: Two a.m. next morning. I can't sleep and I sip warm milk in the chicken cave. What to do? I'm on the horns of a dilemma. Heavy concrete hauler, fold napkins, and nouveau Italian Chinese restaurant specializing in pizza and light salads, or challenge the fates. Eight a.m. I stand on the roof of Midland City's tallest skyscraper, four dizzy stories high. I hurl a challenge to the fates. This is the Winged Warrior, Fates. I shall go on fighting crime and evil. I don't care that my bad cholesterol is bad. Suddenly, a black cloud forms swiftly in the sky and I hear...
7: Okay, do what you want. We'll try to be there for you, but watch the fatty foods, the cookies, the ice cream, and good luck to you.
9: But who is that?
7: One of the fates. Which one? Frank. Ellis, Fran, and Fred are in Las Vegas. God bless them. They should only win and be well.
9: Okay, well, fine. I'll I'll just carry on then.
7: Okay. Listen, could you change that mask you're wearing now? It's very ugly and could scare kids and small animals. Thank you very much.
9: Right. And at that moment I knew fate was blind, and I, the famous fowl, would have the last laugh. For you see, I wasn't wearing a mask. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs>
6: Well, what has the winged warrior gotten himself into here? Can he actually stop time by challenging the fates? And is it Frank Fate he's talking to? Or Georgie Jessel? And another thing, doesn't that nouveau Italian Chinese restaurant sound super trendy? Be listening tomorrow for another exciting episode in the life of the most fantastic crime fighter the world has ever known. <laughs>
0: Well Chicken Man Challenges: a fate name Frank was recorded at Dick Orkins Radio Ranch in Hollywood, California, along with Dick Orkin. The cast included Allison Ann Martin, Miriam Flynn, Charlie Brill, and Jim Gallant. engineers Elizabeth Lane and James Burns, written by Dick Orkin and Christine Coyle, Miss Flynn 's hairstyle by Mr. Bunny. If you want more information about Chicken Man, it is on the internet with sound files that you can get at this address www.radioranch that's radio with a dash and then the word ranch.com. Mm-hmm.
6: I want to eat it! Eat that!
0: Well, today's program was produced by Nancy Updike, Peter Connie, Elise Spiegel, Dolores Wilbur, and myself, contributing editors Margie Rockland, Paul Tuff, and Jack Hitt. Thanks, today to Steve Cushing and the Blues Before Sunrise Radio Network for music help, to Danny Miller for music help, and to the Mattoon family Ashley, Lynn, Ducky, Yonalu, and of course, Danielle.
1: I just kind of want like a real person who's like Ducky, probably. Like, I, I want to go make, marry some guy who's like Ducky.
0: And how's that search going? Not well. If you would like to buy a copy of this or any of our This American Life programs, they make a fine stocking stuff for Christmas. is coming up. Don't delay. Call us at WBEZ here in Chicago, 312-832-3380, 312-832-3380. The cost is $10. Funding for this program has been provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, the Elizabeth F. Cheney Foundation, and the listeners of WBEZ Chicago. WBEZ's management oversight by Tori Malatillo. I'm Ira Glass. Ira? Hmm?
1: Don't make me sound like an idiot, okay?
0: Done. Back next week with more stories of this American life. latia i'm ira glass ira Hmm.
5: don't make
1: me sound like an idiot okay
0: done back next week with more stories of this american life